All right, well, we are, this is week two of our, of sharing different Christmas uh, messages. We're getting a little break from Romans to talk about Christmas, and um, we're going to go back over Galatians 4, 1 through 7, and it's mostly because JC didn't do a good enough job last week. <laughs> That's not why. JC crushed it. So if you haven't heard it, you should. I would say that was more of a Christmas message uh, because he talked about, um, and as this passage talks about, how, how at this perfect time, a specific time, God in his plan sent Jesus. So, so God sends uh, Jesus to be born as a baby. So we see that Jesus was planned. He was human, but also that he was divine. So we see all these aspects, and it comes to fruition as we celebrate Christmas. So that was what we talked about uh, last week. Um, and now we're going to talk about this same passage in a little bit different sense. Uh, we're going to talk about it from a, a familial aspect, family. Because uh, what he's talking about here is about God's family. And I like that too because a great time to talk about family is around the holidays. It's a time when, when most people are thinking about their family or spending time with their family. And so we have a great opportunity here as God talks about his family. Um, and so... I was thinking about Christmas for me. So I became a Christian uh, after high school. Uh, so for a period of time, you asked about Christmas, it'd probably just be about traditions and family. And then I became a Christian, and now it's about Jesus first before those things. But then I think about traditions and family. Those are, those are usually what, what follow. Uh, you know, like, like I wouldn't think about, if you said, what, when you think about Christmas, what do you think about? It would not be in fourth grade, I got a Montreal Canadian starter jacket. Like, that's not the thing. Uh, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, before that I got this huffy bike that was, it wouldn't be the presents. Christmas is not about presents. Um, and I didn't even, didn't even think that before. I would think about, you know, now I'd think about how the Shriners, we made cookies this week. So we, one afternoon, I think it was Thursday, we, we all day, well, all from like one o'clock on, we were baking. And we took those, those goods, we passed them out to our neighbors and anything that we messed up on or fell on the floor, uh, the kids ate. And that was a bad policy. Let me just say, that was not a good idea. Um, <clears throat> we had a great time, though. So that's a, that's a tradition that has been begun. And I, when, as I was a kid, we used to go to my grandparents' house, both sides. And so one, we go to my mom's. She, she grew up on a farm. So you go to the farm at the Mowers, and it was awesome. My grandpa, uh, there'd usually snow, and so there'd be like a snow mound. So we'd make snow forts. Uh, we would play cards together. Uh, we would... Uh, I remember my mom, 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 she crushes it on the piano. And so we would get her on the piano. I didn't love this at the time. Looking back, I love this. And we had to sing Christmas carols. Uh, but my grandpa, he was a hard, hard old farmer, and he would sing with us, and he loved it. Uh, so we had this, these traditions that we did, and I loved the farm. And then we'd get in the car, and we'd get in the, in the, the wood panel Dodge Caravan, and we'd head down to Cedar Rapids. So my other grandparents lived in Cedar Rapids, and uh, my grandpa, he was an Nabisco salesman, uh, so retired, obviously, but uh, so we have lots of cookies. We didn't have to bake. It was, um, it was good, and we would play cards. My cousins were there again. You'd walk in their house, and it would smell like my grandma. <laughs> like she just had a smell like it was her. Even after she passed, the house smelled like, maybe it was grandpa. I take it back. Uh, he was flowery. Um, anyway, you, just, you have these, you know, these things that you, you take in. And so I loved Christmas. I still love Christmas. I love being with family. I love traditions. I love all of those things. And I, I think I love the, the, the aspect of traditions, not because of the thing itself, because of who you're doing it with. Isn't that true of most of life, that, that the things that we really like, it's not necessarily the thing that you're doing, usually. It's who you're doing it with. That's the reason you appreciate it. 
Uh, now, some of you might be thinking, Christmas, we didn't do a lot of things with family, or maybe my Christmases stunk, like, like it reminds you of drinking or uh, fighting, or maybe you had a loss around the holidays. And so you're thinking, you think about th- these times are actually harder for you, um, and God can appreciate that too. Like that, that's not foreign to God. And what I love talking about this text is that uh, it's going to talk about family, but it's talking about it's our greater family. It's talking about the family of God, this spiritual family that God puts us into that everyone who's a Christian is a part of. And so we can all relate as we hear uh, from Galatians 4 and what it means to be a son of God, an heir. So what I hope you leave with, so when, you're, when you go, when you go home, what do I hope you remember from today? Uh, whatever God wants you to, but my, the thing that I am aiming for is that you'd rejoice this Christmas as you remember your identity as a spirit-filled son of God. That you'd rejoice this Christmas as you remember your identity as a spirit-filled son of God. We look at this, this in three parts. Uh, they all relate, but they're not, they're not, it's not the cleanest breaks, but the, the first thing is that, is that we're going from slavery to sonship. Uh, the second is that we're adopted as sons and heirs. And then the third, that we're gifted with the Holy Spirit. So these are the three sections we're talking about. So first, slavery to sonship. Uh, verse one. Now I say that as long as an heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. Instead, he's under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. Okay, we're going to pause there. Paul's using this example of slavery. And it's one that, that for us, it's hard to connect with because when we think about slavery, it's, it's all negative connotations. We think about American slavery, uh, in which people were oppressed and often usually abused, uh, taken advantage of. And so th- this, is our, this is our window, but what he's talking about here is going to be different. This example is different. There is a truth about slavery and that we all have to understand and that what slavery is, and it's most simple, it's, it's someone who does not have control of their life. So someone else has control of their life or um, something has control of their life. Paul talks about it as, a, as even as a thing in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. He says, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And the picture, he's, he's, it's, he, he's, he says um, someone, but the, the picture he's giving is actually much bigger than that. He's saying, no, no, whatever you allow yourself to be taken control of by, whatever owns you, you're a slave to. So it can be a person, but it can be, it can be other things as well. And so all people are slaves to whoever controls their lives. And so now, Paul, he gives this analogy of a child, uh, and this is a distinctly Roman analogy. He's writing to the churches in Galatia, and so the options, so like the people he's writing to are, there are some Jews, uh, there are a lot of Gentiles, and it's Roman province, Roman area, part of the Roman Empire. And so the Romans would have really understood, and I think because they're living in, uh, with one another, I think the Jews would have understood this example as well, maybe not quite as clearly. Uh, and so what he's talking about is how wealthy Romans, the process they would use to raise their kids and then make them heirs. And he says that they'd be raised by guardians and trustees. And the guardians and trustees, these are people that are in the home, that are, that are leading and teaching the kids. I was thinking, 
it's not perfect, but like, sort of like I went to, I went to public school in a lot of ways, my teachers were my guardians and trustees. So like, yes, Mrs. Ebert, you know, like whatever she says, I do. Uh, she was, she was my boss. And it's a little bit different because he's saying, not only are you under these people, but at one point you're, you're going to be over everything. You're going to be over, over the home. But for a while, whatever your guardians and trustees say, those are the things that you have to do. You are a slave to the guardians and trustees. And then at some point, somewhere between age 14 and 25, uh, the father would pass his estate on to his son. So there's, there's a moment when, they, when, they ch- when the status changes. They're no longer under the guardian and trustee, and now they lead the home. They're in complete control. Even uh, they're, they're to support their parents. And so what Paul is saying is there are, there are two options. We can either be enslaved or we can be sons. He's saying at one time you were enslaved, but at another time you're going to be a son. So how are the, the Galatians enslaved as children? What does it mean that they were enslaved? In verse 3 it says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental principles, I'm sorry, under the elements of the world, the philosophies of the world. Uh, and I liked, uh, Tim Keller had, had a good explanation of this, like what, it, what does it mean to be uh, a slave? And he said there's three different levels. So instead of just saying it's just one thing, he says I think there's three tiers to this. The first way uh, is that Jews are enslaved to the law. And this is helpful if we've been doing a series in Galatians because Galatians 3 is talking all about this. Uh, but in verse 24, 324, it says, some of the law, it says our, our, it was our guardian until Christ. The same language we now find in Galatians 4. It's a guardian. And so what happened was, is that they had the, the promise from, God gives this promise to Abraham, and so God's people, they're, they're multiplying, and then, and then they need the law. God, they need the law, so, so Moses brings the law, the Mosaic uh, covenant comes, and this became their guardian. And what this did is it, it helped them understand who God was and how God designed life to be. But what it also did is help people see I'm a rebel, and I don't live up to the things God calls me to. So they felt the weight of the law, but they also felt, maybe at times, intimacy, but also separation from God, because they're not like God. So like, they feel like, oh, there's, there's a weight about the law. I'm enslaved. This thing is over me, and I am supposed to be obedient to it. Another way to, to think about slavery for the Galatians would be that all humans are under the elemental principles of the world, or under the elements of the world. This is how Keller describes it. He says, but the most, of the, most of the Galatians had not been born Jews. Paul must mean that all human beings are spiritual slaves before coming to Christ. We are all, in a sense, under the law, even if we've never heard the Bible or Moses. Why? Because all, we are all desperately trying to live up to some standards. We're anxious or we're burdened. Our relationship with the divine is remote or non-existent. In other words, God's given us a conscience. And so inside our conscience, uh, there's, there's a weight and a burden that everyone feels. It's part of every, everybody's human nature experiences the burden of right and wrong or failure. Uh, and so we're all under the basic principles of the world. Third, the third way we could think about this, how else are, might they be enslaved, is that Christians sometimes try to go back to slavery. So, so we're, we're made free, we're made as sons, we're set free from the law. But sometimes we go back to our old religious practices to find our hope and our value. So we practice religious ceremonies, or we think, if I do this thing, God will love me more. And he kind of expands on that in Galatians verses 8 through 
11. And doing that, it steals our joy and our freedom because we think, now God, now God's for me. Now I'm good enough to go before God. Instead of understanding you're already good enough to go before God. If you've, if you've put your hope in Christ, you're already, he's, he's already washed over. You're already made new. You can keep your freedom. You don't need to go back any longer. You're in his family. And so under Christ, in Christ, I should say, you're no longer slaves to the law. You're moved past that. You are now fully sons with all of his rights and all of its privileges. You are a son. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. And I like that language, the right. You have the right. It's my privilege. This has to be. It's a promise from God. I have the right to be his child. How? By believing in Christ. It's Paul, it's the churches to know people. All, all, all your churches in this region, you were slaves when you were under the law, but now you've been set free. This is a point of demarcation. Like, it, it can't be both. It's supposed to be one of them. Sometimes we try to make it both. He says, no, no, no. You're now a son. You're now under grace. The law of God is written on your heart. And so being a son, it has benefits, just like it would have for a Roman child. Uh, and that's what he mentions here, that... that uh, under adoption, adopted sons, and heirs. So how is someone a son? So he says that you become a son. How does that happen? Galatians 3.24 answers this. He says, The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Through faith, you're not under the guardian anymore, but through faith, you're a son of God. In Christ Jesus. So it's through faith. And then he, 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 so that was chapter three. In chapter four, he says it again. So now we hear it again. Galatians 4 4. When the, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. So how do we become sons? He says, you, you get redeemed. Jesus buys you back. He says, you're now mine. And being a son was really important. And if you're here and you're a woman, you might be thinking, uh, am I a son? <laughs> it's kind of weird to use a son language. And it is important. In fact, it's probably revolutionary, this term, to be called a son. Because what, what he's saying is, is, is back in, the, in those times, a woman could not inherit land. They could not be an heir. They didn't have that privilege. They were not the leader of the home. They, this thing, it would have been totally foreign. And so then a natural question would be, are, are women left out of the promises of God? Are some of the promises not theirs? Are they not heirs? Do they not have the status and the privilege that men have? Well, no. Because what Paul says here, he says, listen, your title's important. You two women are an heir because you're a son. In the analogy, you're a son. You have all the privileges that, that everyone else has as well. You've been promised freedom from slavery and can be adopted and you're a leader. And the Bible, it uses metaphors uh, to help us and, and gender will often play into that metaphor to help us to understand. For instance, uh, in Revelation 21, it says that men and women are brides of Christ. And so as men, we might get puffed up like, that's, that, that's weird. And sometimes I read it and I think it's weird to be a bride. There's a song that talks about it. And I'm like, I never know how to sing the song because I'm like, this, this feels strange. But really what it's saying is, is that you, you've been adorned, prepared to be with Christ, to be united. It's actually a very, a very beautiful thing. 
um, when you think about why it's being said, like what it's describing. And so here, what we're seeing is that, is that men and women are both, both sons of God and heirs, adopted sons and heirs. And adoption here, the word, it literally means the sonship. So that it's a legal term that's being used. And uh, it would be used typically when a, a childless, wealthy man would adopt a slave. So he doesn't have a kid. And so he says, I want to pass on my inheritance, my, my wealth, whatever, my life. And so he would adopt a slave. And he'd become the sonship. And as, as a son, he takes on the name. So now he has the same name as his father. And has all the rights and all the privileges. And this is cool because I think this is a great picture of the gospel. Right? Like we're born and then we rebel against God and now we're separate from God. We're rebels from God. But God sees us and he loves us. And he says, I want you and so just like they had to, to purchase their slave, redeem their slave, God has to redeem us. And so that's what he does in Christ. This is the gospel message uh, in an analogy. Born separate, redeemed, made a son. So what are these rights and privileges as adopted sons and heirs? What, what does that mean for us? Like, how, how does that help us? And uh, I want to be honest on the front side. I thought this was the most confusing part of the passage. Not when I first read it, like, oh, I'm an heir of God. Like, that makes sense. But what does it specifically mean to be an heir of God? I don't know it completely. I'd encourage you to spend some time on your own even trying to figure it out. I read a lot about this passage, and I think I have some ideas. Um, and so I'm going to tell you some things that I learned, but I would say keep, keep digging about what does it mean that we're an heir of God. And so here's some, here's some truths that I, that I, I do know. First is, is in Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 3 uh, Paul, he's writing this letter to this church, and he's mad at them. He says, some of you say, I follow Paul, and some say, I follow Apollos. And so he's writing to his own fan club, partially, partially to Apollos. And he's like, he's like, he's like listen, you're behaving like mere men. And he means it as an insult. <laughs> like, like, you should be saints. And you're, you're acting like mere people. Like, you, you, you're, you're children of God. You're adopted sons of God, and you're saying, this is my leader. I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. He says, you don't get it. You don't understand. You belong to Christ. He's yours. And so at the end of that chapter, this is, this is what he says. He says, so let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or present, or things present, or things to come, everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Ah, what exactly does that mean? I don't know, but I think he's saying, he says, you belong to Christ, like you are, um, you are his, and everything is yours. Um, one way that I experience this, what does this, what does this mean? As, as like an adopted heir and his son, what does it mean that everything is mine? Uh, I was, this was probably 10 years ago, I was at my, my grandparents' uh, house in Minnesota, well, property. They'd, they'd passed, and so now I was actually on my aunt's property. And uh, she had this barn from, like, this little pig barn from pre-1900, I think. It was old. Uh, the, the house had fallen down, and so it's just this little grove of trees with this barn on it. So uh, we talked, and she was excited for us to go, and so me and a friend went, and we harvested the wood from this barn. So we go down there, and it was, like, it was the end of November, and this is crazy because this is southern Minnesota. Uh, the high was negative one. <laughs> it's the worst possible day. Anyway, so we're, we're at, this, at this little barn. We're taking all the wood off, and it's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun. 
me, me and my brother Caleb Thompson. And all of a sudden, this truck comes down. So there's two fields, like, kind of out in front of us. And there's a big, long driveway and then this little grove of trees. And so we're here. And he comes down the driveway. And this guy gets out. And he kind of gets in our face. He's not literally in our face, but he's, like, very aggressive. He's like, what are you guys doing here? Um, why are you here? And it's like, I'm like, oh, well, uh, you know, we're taking, taking down this, this barn. He said, who said you could be here? And I was like, uh. so now he's like, he's like, he's kind of, like, being threatening without actually threatening. And... Uh, and I was like, so I'm getting a little bit worked up inside. I don't love conflict. And then I was like, well, I'm supposed to be here. This is, this is my, my aunt's property. Like she, I'm, I'm, and then I was like, wait a minute. This is my aunt's property. What are you doing here? You know, like, who's this guy? Who, who does he think he is? And, and he, 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 he's like, oh, well, you know, I hunt this land. I got permission from Dorvin, my grandpa, who'd been dead for probably two years. Uh, and Carl said I could hunt here. Carl hates hunting. Like, this whole thing. And... Um, so then uh, I was like, well, we're supposed to be here. And so he left. But then I was thinking about it after, you know, and the, the blood pressure's down a little bit. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I'm the son. Like, I'm the family. I have the right to be here. That guy, that guy is a joke. He's a joke. Uh, this, this, is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I share that, that analogy because it's a little bit what it's like when we're in Christ. Uh, God says, God says I'm, I've made you a son. I've made you an heir. I've given you a status. So I hadn't, like, paid for the land. I hadn't done anything other than just I was in the family. That was my right. Um, in the same way, we haven't done anything before God that, that we earn these things. But he says, he says, all is yours. Everything is yours. Your identity is in me. We have this strong confidence. So do, am I now, like, am I like Christ in that I'm, like, omniscient? Or do I, am I is it like Psalm uh, 50 where it says, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Is every cow mine? <laughs> no, those things aren't it. Um, but I think when, you know, when Satan comes and accuses you and says, you're this or you're that, you can say, no, 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 I'm a son of God. You're wrong. He tries to remind you of the law and the ways that you're insufficient. You say, well, those things are partially true, except I've been forgiven. I've been, I've been washed clean. In that passage in 1 Corinthians 3, it, it says that, um, that, that uh, no one can boast in human leaders for everything is yours. He says, for the world or life or death. So life makes sense because we have Christ, but also in death we have victory over death. Uh, we don't have to fear death because of who we are in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives, victory, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory as an heir, a son, over death. And I think the, the, thing that I, the conclusion I came to most as I read all these things, there's, there's, there, there could be implications, but none of it is like, this is exactly what an heir means. But when I look at Romans 8, which also talks about God giving us the Holy Spirit and us being able to call out to him, um, is I think what we get is we get Christ. We get, we get to be in relationship with the God of the universe. Um, and then in... in even as Jesus prays in, in John 14, he says, I, would, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. Uh, he, he's, he's praying for us in a way that um, he's looking for a similar unity among all of us and a love among all of us that, that is similar with the Father. The best I can understand it is what does it mean? What privilege do we have is that we get Christ. That's our greatest privilege. And then we're going to rule with him in eternity. 
we're going to be with him forever. And so are you living, my question to you is, are you living free from the law as a son of God? Are you able to say, like, confidently, I'm a co-heir with Christ? Or do you see yourself as a no good, worthless sinner who deserves whatever comes to you? Is that how you think about yourself? Do you rightly view your role in God's family as an adopted son? So as adopted sons and heirs, second, second aspect I want to talk about is that we have security. We have security. When you're adopted, you are a chosen part of a family. And the Romans would have understood this more. Jews didn't spend, the Jews did not often adopt, but the Romans did. And when a Roman adopted someone, they'd have their, you know, like their legal name change. You'd become a natural. They'd be a son, but they'd actually have more rights than a natural son because a natural son could be uh, disowned. They could, they could be expelled from the family. But legally, in, in the Roman society, an adopted child was always an adopted child. They couldn't go backwards. They were now always there. Uh, and, and maybe some of you need to hear that today, that you, if you put your faith in Christ, you are still his child. Maybe you feel unworthy, inept, worthless, I don't know. Whatever, whatever, those, whatever those things are going inside you to remember, if you've been adopted, you're still adopted. You're still part of his family. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. In John 14, he tells his disciples, he says, My father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. He's able, he, no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I'm my father one. No one can take you from the father. I was thinking about my own situation uh, when David and Ashley joined our family. And it was like, it didn't take long for them to start saying, uh, Mommy and Daddy. So just little kids. And, and I was thinking, you know, it didn't take us long to view them as our kids. You know, it's like, in your mind, you think, these are my kids. But it, it was like almost immediate where it's like, they're just like my own children because they are my own children. And so, so I view them that way. But then also they reciprocate. Like they just, they act like they're our kids. They talk to us like they're our kids. They can confidently say so. And that's what it's like with God. As we're adopted as sons and heirs, this is how God views us and how we're to view God. With confidence that we can go before him. And so no matter what you've done or, or, or what you've become, you're first and foremost God's child. And so we can rest in that. We have security. Another aspect of being adopted as an heir is that we're, a bigger, a part, we're part of a bigger family. <laughs> and some of you are like, I'm already part of a big family. I don't need that. Um, fair enough. Um, but it's true. If you're a Christian, you're part of the, this bigger family of God. I remember in the beginning I talked about God. He talks in familial terms. And uh, some people can struggle at the holidays because they feel like they don't, you know, they don't have the family they want or, or, or someone has passed away. What's awesome is, is, that, is that when you're in a part of the body of Christ, you're part of a church, uh, when you're committed somewhere, you're part of this, this other greater body. You're part of this family. And so there are Christians across the world that, that like, technically are in my family, but not really because like, I don't see them, I don't, I don't interact with them, but God's given us the local church to be his body. And so someone who, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're, you're part of this church, then you're part of this family in a very practical, serious sense. And so I'm going to do a little something that we don't have a lot of crowd participation normally, but I'm going to get awkward. Um, what I'd like everyone to do is, is take two seconds, two turn, head turns, and I want you just to look around the room. So even if you're in the front, look back. If you're in the back, look at the people looking front. Look around. 1,001. 
now to do. Okay, okay, so you saw a little bit. Uh, this is your family. Isn't that, isn't that great? These are your people. You're not alone. God doesn't leave you alone. He, he puts you a part of one another. And that's what it means to be adopted in his family, is that, is that, yes, you're adopted before the Lord, but also you're a part of this great, beautiful thing. And as part of a family, that means that, that you have all the benefits of being in a family. What exactly those benefits are, there are many, and it, it sort of depends on your needs. But you should know that, that as part of a family, that you have responsibility to love your other family members. So, so, so you are, in a sense, you, you're living for them, you're living for God, but God's put you with these people. And then in another sense, they also have responsibility to you. And that can be tricky because we don't always know the needs of one another. And so there's a call as being a part of a family to also ask for help, to say, hey, can, you, can, you, can, we, can we get together in this, this area? I was reading uh, David Guzik about that, that 1 Corinthians 3 passage. He's a, he's a Bible teacher. And this is how he described that part. He said at the end about all being yours. He said, all are yours. This is Christian liberty. And you are Christ's. This is Christian responsibility. And so being part of family, it has its benefits, but also has its responsibilities. We get to serve one another as we are all sons. And so we should think about the people in this room as family. Do they have physical needs? Do they have emotional needs? Do they have spiritual needs? If so, how can I help them? How can I be a part of their life? How can I serve them? Okay, let's keep going. The third aspect is that we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, see, it says in verse 6, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. John Stott, he explains that being adopted, it gives you the status of sonship. But when God gives us the Holy Spirit, he's giving us the experience of sonship. We feel like a son. So I know it, I know it, but now I feel it. He says he puts it into your hearts. Now, and the, the hearts is intentional, that you would feel it. And so this is amazing. And, and what the Holy Spirit does, what he does in us, is too vast for us to talk about. Like the Holy Spirit, he has, he has so many, there's so many things we, 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 could, we could just labor on in, in an awesome way, but uh, we're just going to talk about what are the things he shows us here. Well, first, we can talk to God as Father. The Holy Spirit enables us to talk to God as Father. And so I, I might be stepping on some toes, but some people like the translation, some don't, uh, that, that the Abba, Father, is like saying Daddy. Um, some people say, um, I've heard Papa. Uh, J.B. Phillips, he says it's like saying Father, dear Father. The point is, is it's a, it's a a diminutive term of father, a shortening of father, an intimate term of father. And the place that we see this, the example of this, is Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross. He cries out to Abba, Father. And then Paul uses that, that language to help us to see we, by receiving the Spirit, get to cry out to Abba, Father. And I was noticing this in me as, as I was praying. Is I usually pray to the Lord. <laughs> Lord this. I'll start with Heavenly Father, but then usually it goes to Lord. And that is an aspect of God's relationship with me. But there's another one that I shouldn't miss and that he's my dad. And so I can pray to him as my dad. And the Holy Spirit, he enables us to pray and to talk about God in such affectionate terms. Uh, for you parents, 
you, you know, you can relate to this in that you love talking with your kids. Like having a, a fun conversation or meaningful conversation with one of your kids is the best. You just love it. Or if you're a kid, it's really nice to connect to your parents. And as you get older, I think that even you appreciate it even more. You're happy to connect. This week I was driving with Ada. And for those of you who know Ada, first she was singing some songs, and then she was talking. <laughs> she was talking. And it was just me and Ada, and she was talking. And it was great. And I thought, man, I'm so lucky to be Ada's dad. You know, like, I'm so thankful for this child. Uh, and then I was thinking, oh, this is sort of what it's like with me and God. When I'm his adopted heir, his son, with all its rights and privileges, and he puts the spirit in my heart that I can now cry out, Abba, Father. That means I can talk to God. And so God is excited when I talk to him. Just like I was excited to be with Ada, he's excited to be with you. It's a wonderful thing. We get to talk to God, and he hears us. And it doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be perfect. It can just be relational. Come to him as you are. He wants to hear from you. The second thing we see here is that the father, he's close. It says we cry out, Abba, Father. He's close enough to hear. <laughs> he can hear us as we speak to him. And uh, I, was, I was walking uh, this week, and I was looking up at the sky, and it, there's all these stars. And I thought to myself, why does God care? <laughs> like, I'm so small. I'm a speck on a speck on a speck on a speck. You know, like, keep going. Um, why do I matter? Uh, and does God even think about me? And I'm like, well, yes. Like, what's amazing is that he's, he's close, that he can hear me cry out to him. That when I talk to God, he, he's not far away. He's not distant. He's not past that star and past the next one. He's right here. He can hear me. Uh, Psalm thirty-four, fifteen. it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. You might be thinking, I'm not righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Well, I'm in trouble. I'm not. That's not me. But Paul, he spent a lot of time in Galatians explaining that who is righteous? It's those who have their faith in Christ, who've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus. So who's righteous? If you're a Christian, you are. And then he says, his ears are open to their cry for help. His ears are open. He hears us. You are by faith. And so how do you view God? Is God distant from you? Do you think God's distant from you? When you pray, do you, do you feel like he, he's going to hear you? Through the Spirit, you can pray to God, and he does hear you. And there, there are so many things that God does uh, through his Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, it says that we're filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music in our heart to the Lord, in your heart to the Lord. In other words, God's spirit enables us to talk about him and sing to him. And so as we sing this last song today at the end of the service, we're going to sing one more song, God's spirit is helping you communicate with God. In fact, in Romans 8, it says that one of the reasons God gives us a spirit is that we would communicate back to God. Like there's like, we have the spirit to know that, that it's like this, this circle. And so we could go on and on in this. I want to just touch on a couple, and I haven't touch on, I want to mention couple aspects of the Holy Spirit. What, is, what does he do for us? A couple benefits of the Holy Spirit. Well, he's a seal, meaning he's a mark, guaranteeing your inheritance. Uh, that's Ephesians 1, 13. Romans 8, 9 says, the Holy Spirit is what rose Christ from the dead, and it's the same thing that arises you from the dead. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. John 7, uh, 30 and 39 says that, that through the Spirit we have, we have life that flows out of us. From deep within us out come these living waters. It's through the Spirit. Ephesians 3.16, the Holy Spirit enables us uh, with strength and power in your inner being. I can't do that. That's too hard. I don't know. 
The Spirit can help you. He can help you. The Holy Spirit, it helps teach us the depths of God. It leads us to all truth. That's 1 Corinthians 2. The Holy Spirit, it grows you in godly fruit. So like the Spirit is sort of inside of you like a tree, uh, and then it's producing these things. What does the Holy Spirit produce in you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All these things God is producing in you through the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it gives each person specific giftings to be used to serve the kingdom. This is 1 Corinthians 12. And so each of these things has several messages. There's more benefits to the Holy Spirit, but God gives it to you, and it says, why does he give it to you? Uh, because you're his son. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so we get this conclusion, this passage in verse 7. It says, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So you're no longer a slave. Remember this. You're no longer a slave, meaning you're not a slave to the law. All these pressures aren't on you anymore, but you're now a son, all its rights and privileges. So what I hope that you leave with remembering that you should rejoice this Christmas as you remember your identity as a spirit-filled son of God. He's in you. You're given that gift. How do we, what should we do with this? Okay, if this is true, so what? what how, how can we apply some of this? Well, one, remember you're no longer a slave, but a son. As Satan calls you out, you know, as he comes down the long drive and starts, starts yelling at you, trying to tell you you're not good enough, trying to tell you um, no one loves you, that, that whatever the lie is that circles in your mind, you've got to tell him, no, 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 forget you. I'm a son. I'm an heir. And then you can call to God, God, help me in this right now. Help me believe this. We have to remember who we are, that we're sons and not slaves to the law. Second, I would say we're to actively participate as a member of the family of God. Uh, I have body of Christ, but, but really as a family, a part of the family that you should actively participate in church. When I say church, I mean, you know, one-on-one in people's lives or in community group or, um, you know, today. I think a great example is today we have the kids program at four. Parents are going to be here, maybe some grandparents. But if you're in the church, you don't have the kids here, it's, not, it's great for you to be here. Why? Because you're part of their family, too, in a different way, and kids will be excited about that, and so come. Uh, maybe be a part of the family. Come and hear that today. Um, and as part of the family, you just be thinking about how can I use my time, my energy, my resources to serve the family of God, to be a part of the family. Uh, so look for opportunities. And then know that, that if you need something, that you need to also ask. I was thinking about Christmas, uh, some people probably don't have family in town or they just don't spend time with family or they're lonely at Christmas. And I would say, if that's you and you're, you're, feeling, you're feeling like, I don't know, uh, come talk to me. I will, help, I will happily help find a place for you to celebrate Christmas as part of the family. It's a good thing. So be a part, actively participate as a, as a member of the family of God. And then finally, I would say, pray to God intimately. He's not far away, he's close. And so talk to God in that way, knowing that you have the right to speak to him. He wants to speak to you. He's not annoyed by you. He's not distant and not hearing. He's here. Um, with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you give us your spirit. We thank you that, that because of that, we can cry out to you, to our Heavenly Father. Father, dear Father, that you want to hear from us. Lord, help us to, to um, walk as your children, to remember who we are and what that means. 
Father, help us to grow in that identity in you. And Lord, help us build up that identity in the brothers and sisters around us. Um, we need you in, in all of these things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we continue uh, our worship, we're going to have...